Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing in Redcliffe Square in Putney, SW10. Two stops north of Fergie's crazed dresser. Three stops northeast of the last attack by the sadistic little drummer boy. One street east of the pub of choice for several of Britain's most infamous serial killers. And one street north of the callous killer who discreetly hid his victim's body by dumping it on his own doorstep. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Designed to confuse any visitors, almost every street in this part of West Brompton is filled with long lines of identical white five-story Victorian terraces with stepped entrances encircled by Doric columns. Being so ominously vague and silent, it's as if this street is trying to hide all of its secrets. Only being the kind of pretentious tosspot haven, where Fenella and Hugo Astispermanti raise their ruddy-faced bully magnets, each named after a philosopher, a composer, a chemical element, a place in Italy, a type of parmesan, a lost sexual disease, and an obscure quote to prove that they can read. The deepest secrets any of these residents are likely to hide would be when they last brought a loaf of white sliced bread or having spoken to a real-life northerner without getting a tetanus shot. On the right-hand side of the ground floor of 60 Redcliffe Square stands Flat D, a one-roomed lodging which was once the home and workplace of Lynn Bain and Jan Blake. Two ladies with too many secrets. Given the era, they disguised their illegal lesbian relationship as merely a tempestuous friendship. But it would be a single incident over a few drinks, a game of cards and a bit of telly, which would end it all. Were the secrets so big, wrong, dark or strange? It left one woman in prison, the other in the morgue, and both taking their unspoken motive to the grave. But what was the secret? My name is Michael, I'm your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 191, Lynn, Jan, and him.
We all have secrets. Whether it's a shame about our past, a criminal act, a childish habit, or a strange perversion we only do when we're alone. Whatever it is, we keep it well hidden, and we only discuss it with those we trust most. But what kind of secret is worth killing for and dying for? Born on the 21st of March, 1937, in the village of Leslie in Fife, Scotland, Marilyn Ann Bain, known as Lynn, had a good upbringing to moral and hard-working parents. Raised in Kirkcaldy, although her childhood was good, this began a period of entirely predictable instability as her parents went where work was. Because of that, she found it difficult to build friendships and to form relationships, which stayed with her for a life. Being small, thin and softly spoken, with a thick Scottish brogue, Lynn was described as quiet and high-spirited. An easily led girl who would do well in life, but only if she was guided by the right person. Sadly, her young life lacked a good friend and a role model. As her father was always working, her mother struggled with nervous breakdowns, and her sister wouldn't be born until Lynn was almost ten. In 1946, as her dad worked for CCG, the Control Commission of Germany, the family uprooted to the turbulent war-torn city of Berlin as these spoils of war were ripped apart like hyenas, tearing at a fresh carcass. As a wee Scottish lass, trying to find her feet in a foreign land, where she didn't know the language, the people or the culture, she had lost everything familiar. And yet, it was in this city that she suffered an undocumented sexual assault, which, according to her family, altered her personality forever. Age 12. Lynn was sent to a boarding school in Wilmenshaven in Germany. But again, feeling isolated and punished, before she could make even a single friend, she was uprooted within the year and returned to Kakodi, a place she hadn't lived for two years, which for a child is like a lifetime. Her parents were simply doing what they thought was best, to give her a good life and a good education. And although some children cope and even thrive on this excitement, some do not. As a drifter with no one to follow, she could easily have become a no one who did nothing. But it was then that the army came calling. 
fresh out of school. Having spent three years at the Macrone Nursing School in Dunfermline, in 1955, Lynn enlisted as a private in Queen Alexandra's Royal Army Nursing Corps. The army was exactly what she needed. Routine and rules, with her superiors barking orders which she was forced to obey. Over the next four years, although she served in such far-flung realms as Hong Kong, Singapore and Malaya, she didn't feel lost, as being her new family. Within the army, she found qualifications and skills, as well as romantic attachments with a few women she was secretly, if illegally, in love with. It was never said who, whether a leader or a lover, who was the light who led this lost girl from the path of uncertainty to a life of hope. But by the age of 23, Lynn had become a quiet but well-liked nurse with a good bedside manner and awarded the General Service Medal. She had a good future ahead of her. Or at least, she should have done. On the 20th of October, 1959, Lynn was discharged from the army. She could have made the leap from working in a military to a civilian hospital. But with no one there to guide her through the thorny issues of life, work, romance, and her sexuality, she began to drift and quickly fell apart. As a heavy drinker since her teens, booze became a coping mechanism. She was placed on an 18-month probation for stealing car wing mirrors. And seeing her rapid decline, her probation officer got her to attend the Reginald Carter Clinic to treat her alcoholism. Being jobless, homeless, loveless and lost, Lynn needed someone's strong will to guide her. The person she picked was Jan. And although she would be a perfect partner for many, she was wrong for Lynn. Jan was born Jeanette Doreen McVitie on the 4th of June 1929 in Balham, South London, as the only girl of five siblings to Evelyn, a housewife, and Henry, a builder's labourer. From the off, her childhood was a struggle, but the harshness of her upbringing hardened Jan, making her formidable and very direct. As a dot, just five foot and one inches high, often mistaken for a pushover, any assailant would get a rude awakening as weighing 14 stone, the same as most male boxers. She would kick if provoked, bite if attacked, headbutt if needed, and she was never afraid to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with an aggressor twice her size. In 1948, 
Jan married a man called Blake, although his details were expunged from the court records. A few years later, they separated. But as far as we know, they remained in contact, with Jan keeping his name to disguise her identity and later stating, I can't stand sex with men, except for business purposes. Business purposes. In 1954, 25-year-old Doreen Brooks, an alias she used, was fined 40 shillings in Marylebone for soliciting for sex. And over the next three years, she would also be fined five more times for drunkenness and willful damage. Everyone who knew her, whether prostitutes or punters, was aware of the fact that Jan was a lesbian which it was not unusual for a sex worker to be, as the act itself is not about love, but about money. She hated men, but she'd readily let some loser give her a pointless fuck and a drunken fumble for a few pounds. On the surface, it's easy to see why Lynn fell for Jan. She was confident driven and free-spirited. Jan McVitie was the guiding light into the new life for Lynn Bain. Only Jan's chaotic lifestyle would lead Lynn from despair and hopelessness to unspoken secrets and murder. In May 1959, shortly after her discharge from the army, Lynn met Jan in the Gateways, an infamous lesbian rendezvous at 239 Kings Road in Chelsea. A few days later, they moved in together. As two very different personalities, with Jan a boisterous bully and Lynn a jealous loner, it's no coincidence that Lynn's alcoholism spiked and her minor criminal career began in the months after she met Jan. Their stormy love life was described as volatile at best and deadly at worst. As each week they sported new bruises, as the two women constantly fought over the differences which drove them apart. Being direct, Jan had a slew of ex and current lovers while the solitary Lynn had no one but Jan. Barred from the Gateways Club for assaulting a former lover of Jan's, Lynn became ever isolated as she drank more at home. Living off Jan's sex work, Lynn's only contribution was the five pound per week that her father sent her, still believing that she was a struggling nurse rather than an unemployed alcoholic. And with Lynn rarely going out, this caused an even bigger rift between the two. Having moved from Oakley Street to Cremor Crescent, Finsborough Road to Colerne Road, often moving when they were evicted for non-payment of rent or complaints about their fights. On the 22nd of March 1962, they moved into Flat D on the ground floor of 60 Redcliffe Square in West Brompton. 
like a tinderbox of hatred and lies. They were the wrong couple in the wrong flat at the wrong time. Set aside the drunken abuse. There were three sparks in those last few weeks which caused Jan and Lynn to fall out. One was a question over their sexuality. As Jan had sex with men for money, and Lynn was supposedly seeing a man called Bob, who she liked. Two was that although Lynn was not a sex worker, it was said that Jan had coerced her into posing for sexually explicit photos, and the two had engaged in acts of lesbian sex, while a male client had paid to watch and masturbate. And three, that their one-roomed lodging was both their home and their workplace. By the end of summer 1962, Leonard once again become lost. Weeks later, she would take her lover's life. But why? The days leading up to the incident may have seemed as volatile as an exposed tinderbox, but for Lynn and Jan, these daily, if not hourly, fights and arguments were unremarkable. Both being big drinkers, it was not unusual for one to storm off, the other to sport bruises, and the street to echo with their screams. John Hubbard. Their neighbour in Flat C was awoken so many times by their fights that no one ever called the police or intervened. He later stated, "They were always screaming at each other. One or both of them would shout, 'I've had enough of this,' and it would stop. But by the morning, they'd start again. But having failed to pay their rent for a third month, their landlord had given them notice to leave. Thursday, the thirteenth of September, nineteen sixty-two, was typical of most evenings for Lynn and Jan, as long periods of awkward silences were interspersed by shouts and screams. Across a night left uncomfortably sticky by the heat. At 8:30 p.m., Jan let in an unidentified male into the ground floor flat. His voice heard by John Hubbard. And on one of the twin beds in the sitting room, they engaged in sex as Lynn stood in the kitchen for half an hour. She waited in silence, with no chair to sit on and no radio to listen to. Shielded by nothing but a thin partition wall, the only sound she heard was her former lesbian lover being fucked by a man. This setup may seem odd, but stranger still is that, given the precarious nature of their finances and living situation, Lynn's statement says 
that Jan only picked up one punter that night, not several. It is also said that this unnamed man left at roughly 9pm and he was unseen by any corroborative witnesses. The statement Ling gave to the police of the night's events were vague at best. And although a lack of memory can be seen as suspicious, it's understandable given her mood and her chronic alcoholism. Lin would state, After the man had gone, Jan asked me if I would like a drink, and she gave me four pounds to go to the off-license. This occurred between 10 and 11 p.m. As John Hubbard saw her leaving, and he remembered it vividly, as although he wished her a good night, Lynn ignored him. At two premises, an off-license on the corner of Old Brompton Road and Earl's Court, I brought a bottle of whiskey, a quarter bottle of brandy, three quarters of light ale and a bottle of ginger ale. And at Bertarelli's cafe nearby, I got five Pepsi Colas. I then went back to the flat and we started drinking. Examining the flat, police found empty glasses and half-drunk bottles, as described. And although this could be seen as a large quantity of alcohol for just two women, both were big drinkers. Several sets of unidentified fingerprints were also discovered, but they may have belonged to past punters. Lynn would state, We were still drinking, we were still drinking when the ITV program finished at midnight. At 9.45pm was US drama Gunsmoke, followed by a review show what the papers say at 10.40pm. Dan Farson meets Len Peters at 10.55pm. At 11.22pm was People at Work, a dry study about primary schools. At 11.47pm was the epilogue, a non-denominational speech given by a priest, with a national anthem and shutdown at midnight. This was a rather dull mix of televisual treats for two women having a fun night in. But as Lynn was barred from the Gateways Club, maybe they were just making do with what they had at hand. With the TV off, Lynn would state, We carried on drinking and played a couple of games of Ludo. We then started to play poker for fun. She was teaching me to play the game. We had finished playing poker because I thought the hand I had had won and the cards went up in the air. We argued as to who should pick up the cards and eventually I picked them up and we laughed. According to Lynn, a long period of silence followed, as often happened. She read the paper, I read my book, and we ignored each other. We sat like that for a while. Then I asked her if she wanted to play cards again, but she refused. This and the drinking went on all night, and we never went to bed. It 
It was one of many spats this ex-couple would have that night. But was it worth lying, killing, and dying for? At 5am, having managed to catch a few wings before work, John's alarm went off. And as they opened the door to the passageway they shared, still arguing, John would state, I got the impression I heard a male voice in the room. It was a calm voice, like someone was trying to keep them quiet. John may have been mistaken, or it could have been a friend of Lynn's, a punter of Jan's, or a lover of one of them, or both. On investigation, a photo album of naked women engaged in sexually explicit acts of lesbian sex was found. As is common in the workplace of prostitutes, as sometimes a male client needs a little help to get hard, only these snaps were homemade and its contents were redacted from the court records. Lynn later confessed. At 8am, we started quarrelling. I cannot for the life of me remember what it was about. I remember Jan pouring a drink and I remarked that she was drinking fast. It may have been that that started the quarrel. Grabbing a six-inch kitchen knife. Lynn would state, I must have stabbed her, but I can't account for the knife being in the sitting room and not in the kitchen. I remember her saying she couldn't breathe. I got two pillows and laid her down on them. Then I saw the blood from her blouse and I realized that something was wrong. I flew upstairs and telephoned for an ambulance. I can't remember much else of what happened. I know that we didn't sleep that night, so no one else would have come into the room. It was a single stab wound, made using moderate force, buried five inches deep, just below the left armpit. At 8.20am, ambulancemen Harry Fry and John Cordery arrived at 60 Redcliffe Square. Ushering them in, Lynn stated, Come in quickly, my friend has collapsed. Inside, Harry saw a woman lying on the floor. She had a pillow under her head and she was naked apart from her blouse. When he went to examine her, Lynn said, She's been stabbed. Harry asked, what happened? Lynn replied, we had a bit of a party. Taken by ambulance to the Princess Beatrice Hospital on Old Brompton Road. Keen to work out how deep the knife wound was, Harry asked, what type of knife was it? Lynn sobbed, I don't know to which Jan defensively retorted, she doesn't know anything about it. 
Harry confirmed that both women were distressed and smelt strongly of drink. The knife itself would not be found for several days, and it would never be clear whether Lynn delayed calling the ambulance, perhaps at Jan's request, so the two of them could get their story straight. But what was the truth? And why did they lie? Upon admission, as Jan vomited and fought with the staff, the surgical officer, Dr. Jotkovitz, examined the wound as best that he could. As it had not permeated the thoracic cage, her superficial injury was dressed, stitched, and they waited for the drink to wear off. At 8.45am, as was standard practice in an assault, police arrived and took statements from Lynn and Jan, both of which were vague and blamed neither for the incident at which they were both drinking heavily. At 9.20am, the officers went with Lynn to the flat and observed the scene of this minor assault. But as Jan was sedated and unwilling to press charges, it was likely that the case would be dropped. Therefore, no photographs or fingerprints were taken, no bottles were examined, and the knife was not found. By Monday the 17th of September, although Jan had contracted aspiration pneumonia, as x-rays would prove that the blade had actually nicked her lung, appearing to improve, Jan would state, we were both drunk and had been drinking all night. When asked, do you wish to charge her? Jan stated, no, no, no. And she became upset and started crying. That afternoon, as both lungs had collapsed, those would become some of the last words ever spoken by Jan. By 5.10pm, she was declared dead, and Lynn was charged with her murder. With Lynn arrested in her flat, she was described by the officer as distraught but cooperative, even handing Sergeant Smith the knife, stating, I was cleaning up this afternoon and I found it under the fridge, four days after the fight itself. Inside the half-cleaned room, the detectives found several half-drunk bottles of booze the remains of Jan's bloody blouse, the pillows her head had rested on, the pornographic photo album, and a rubber mask with blood on it. As Janet refused to give a statement, all they had was Linton's drunken recollection, as the male client was never identified, and the only witness, John Hubbard, was at work at the time of the stabbing. Following a post-mortem, 
with Lynn's fingerprints and Jan's blood found on the knife. Lynn was charged with murder and was held at Holloway Prison. Tried at the Old Bailey on the 16th of April 1962, Marilyn Ann Bain, also known as Lynn, pleaded not guilty to murder, but guilty to the lesser charge of manslaughter. Accepted by both sides, she was sentenced to three years in prison and she was released in 1965. In his summing up, Justice Edward Davies would state, The nature of your relationship with your friend caused a situation which led to quarrels. Both of you were drinking regularly and excessively. Whether you know as little about what happened on that night, only you can answer. Somehow, on this night, you caused a carving knife to enter the side of your friend, and she met her death. And there, the case ended. Whatever did happen that night, and whatever secret they silenced, it was clearly something which was worth lying, killing, and dying for. As both women took it to their graves. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Oh. 
Oh, oh, all the way through that, all I've been thinking about is getting to the bakery. Oh, there's a bakery around the corner. I'm going to go to the coffee shop next door to start some of the editing because I can abuse their their electricity. Um, and uh, but next door is a really good bakery, and if you get there. It's open from eight till two, but eight till three. No, it's, I think it's two. Oh, shit. I'll best be quick. If you get there early enough, you can get all the goodies. But when you get to the end, all that's left is maybe one thing. That's It's normally one of those little cone things that's not particularly nice. Ugh, I don't like those. Anyway, welcome to Extra Mile. Taking off your little hood. There you go. Move that out of the way. I'm going to go and make myself a copper. Uh, all good. Hope you're all well. Are you all well? good that's nice to hear i heard someone say no then there's always one person isn't there? there's always one person always thinks they're funny anyway let's pop that in there that's a tea i didn't quite drink uh there we go have myself a tea should i have a coffee no let's not have a coffee oh right tea on the go oh although i do i don't have a cake but i do Two scotch eggs. Oh, purchased yesterday. Two scotch eggs. Get in my belly. Get in my belly. Lovely jubbly. They're gonna. They're gonna. I'm gonna have those on the way up to the bakery. Oh, so there we go. Um, what else is going on? Was back in the archives yesterday. Uh, because the bits and pieces for. I think it's next. I think it's. What's tomorrow's case? Next week's case. I'm all of a. a I'm all over the place at the moment because I'm trying to get all the episodes done ready for Christmas. So we're all done. Uh, so yeah, there was some extra details that I needed for a case that's coming up. So I found a spare file for one of the cases and went back into the archives. And it was great because in there was the... Uh, uh, I'd seen one lot of crime scene photos that didn't have the body in them. And I was like, why did they redact the photo of the body? And then I found that there was another file. I found it there. And I, it's... Uh, yeah. So it's filled in a lot of blanks, which is good. That's great. And there was another case that's coming out next year. So I, I filmed, uh, I copied all of the files for that. So that's hopefully going to be a nice four-parter. Something that I've been working on for a long time. What else is in there? Uh, oh, that was, it was all good, all good. And uh, just filling in the blanks, really. So that was all good. Uh, and then I headed off to the eye hospital for my regular appointment, which is good. And my, my eye specialist gave me the all clear for another year, which is good. I have a degenerative eye condition and uh, I've I went private a little while ago only because of lockdown I couldn't my eye specialist quit it was retirement age anyway and I couldn't I needed a new one and unfortunately I couldn't get an appointment anywhere so I decided to go private and it's been the best decision I ever made even though the NHS is wonderful for the things that you really need I went private on this it hasn't cost a lot of money at all the specialist has been amazing and it's just yeah it's been really good best best money I've ever spent so you know if you can if at any point if you need something done go private I literally I called them one day I, I was on an eight month waiting list I called at the private end of the same hospital one day and said can I see a consultant and they said yeah come in next week which consultant do you want and basically they've done everything they need to do within six weeks 
they've been great really really highly recommended uh what else is going on uh, last weekend i saw richard e grant do his new show that was really good we saw that at the uh, london palladium which was very good and they asked uh, if anyone has had any questions and you fill in a little thing online and uh, uh i said mike from murder mile and uh, richard e grant read out mike from murder mile in front of two thousand or three thousand people in the london palladium which was great so that was that was nice but it was a good show as well if you like if you like richard e grant and you like his uh his uh, biography with nails which is good this is his new one so i was enjoying that uh what else uh i ordered some more beer some murder mile beer mats and some new badges and things which is all very great but unfortunately the the company that ordered them i ordered them from them and they said yep yeah, we'll send them to you and then as it was en route they said uh they said oh oh we can't deliver because you've got a po box we need a physical address and i was like it is a physical address and they're like dhl does not allow you to deliver to a po box which is really fucking annoying dhl you wankers so i had to send it to my brothers about 150 miles away there we go so uh although people will want a murder mile beer mat um i haven't seen them yet apparently they're in my brother's shed oh right while i wait for my cup of stew uh thank you to new patron subscribers uh katherine atherton thank you eileen hudson thank you billy johnson daves thank you sammy smith thank you andy ogden of picture the scene podcast thank you thank you everyone that's very much appreciated and also a thank you as well to everyone uh who pays yearly or or monthly and renews um as mentioned before they don't they don't really let us know when you renew they just kind of accept it and so so thank you to everyone who does it yearly or monthly or whatever is best for you so thank you to Catherine, eileen billy sammy and andy thank you everyone i hope you, uh, goodies are in the post if you haven't already received them four let's go and grab my tea you can hear you're about to hear annoying little helicopter flyover there you go what i've worked out is the noisier a helicopter is the more tiny and pathetic it is really oh that's so annoying so annoying and even worse next to me someone's moored up which i haven't met yet because they moored up when i was out at the archives yesterday but they've got a german shepherd on their boat and their german shepherd just starts barking its head off every time someone sneezes half a mile away so this has been a bloody annoying episode to record right anyway let's oh let's let's get the let's get the questions out of the way let's do that right question number one who frequented a pub near to redcliffe square did you remember that was right at the start of the show question number two what village in fife did lynn come from sorry i've got hiccups while i'm trying to do the questions <sighs> question number three lynn's dad worked for ccg but what does ccg stand for question number four what was lynn's rank that was an annoying little duck what was lynn's rank in the queen alexandra's royal army nursing corps Question number five. Before the manslaughter charge, what was Lynn's only known crime? Question number six. In which part of London was Jan born? 
Question number seven. What was Jan McVitie's alias on her police record? Question number eight. What was the name of the club that they both met at? Question number nine. What was Lynn's only contribution to the rent? And question number 10. What cafe did Lynn buy some Pepsi Colas? There you go. Some bloody difficult questions there. So there you go. Good luck for anyone getting any of those right um so uh, we'll dive into some extra stuff on the case and then we'll go back and do the answer to the questions oh stretchy poos um so that uh, male customer that uh jan was with between 8 30 and 9 p.m we know nothing about him uh fingerprints were found at the scene so there was a man there john hubbard definitely heard a man in the room which was not too unfamiliar but we don't know anything about him um it's a kind of a weird case this one because everything that we've kind of got based around what really happened in that room that night if you think about it between 9 p.m and 8 a.m the next morning it's just the two of them in that room no one else apparently as far as we know was in that room as well so it's just the two of them and given the fact that jan never made a statement which well, she made various verbal statements but nothing clear she never said about what happened that night we can only base it on lynn's statement who is a chronic alcoholic and suffered with kind of uh memory problems and she gave that statement a couple of days after uh, the stabbing itself so it's really hard to pin down what exactly is going on um so i'm not going to read her statement uh, they definitely uh, there was cards in the room we know that there was ludo in the room we know that there was drink in the room we know that uh, it's just difficult to try and work out exactly what was going on in that room police were kind of had focused on the uh the photo album with all the kind of erotic pictures in it but i think it's next week's episode if i've got the right episode that you'll see a kind of the which is why i've put these two episodes together the the kind of there's a lot of similarities between them so you'll see next week's episode and then there is similarities to that and it's I think it's actually the same year as well, I believe. 62, 63, I think it, they were like a year apart. So it's two very similar but interestingly different cases. So, um, interesting situation the way it was. Um, that Lynn would have to stay in the kitchen while Jan was having sex with men outside. Now, I didn't put this in the story, but if you know about prostitution, quite often uh, women who are prostitutes will have maids and their maid is normally someone that they know sometimes it can even be an elderly relative or someone who does job about for different maids and what they do is they they prep the room they get everything set up they show the men in and out but they stay out of the way when the sex is happening so it could be that lynn was her maid but it was never discussed to this so maybe that was something that they were trying to keep secret as well although it doesn't really make sense because jan was a a convicted prostitute and we know that so um it's a weird one we know uh, she said that she watched tv that night uh she said it was itv so i checked the schedules and it was this week then gunsmoke then what the papers say then dan farson meets len peters then the news and the weather followed by people what people at work an epilogue a series of rather dull programs uh but when when she gave a statement to the police she couldn't remember any of the programs or or to be honest they, they didn't actually ask her so all she said was it was on itv which was associated rediffusion because that was the the london uh, franchise holder 
Um, they play game, uh, a card game, but the cards have been cleared up by that point. So, you know, we can't really confirm whether that happened. Why they started quarrelling, we don't know. She said it was sparked partly by the card game. Uh, and then as she says, I remember us quarrelling, but I can't remember for the life of me what it was about. I remember Jan getting up off the poofy uh, and pouring herself a drink. And I made the remark that she was drinking fast. She replied the drink was now talking. Uh, it may have been that that started the quarrel but we don't know uh, this is one of those classic moments where um this happens so many times where people someone stabs the other person and they go oh i must have blacked out i can't remember it's always convenient that in that moment they seem to have blacked out everyone always uses the excuse that you know i blacked out or i saw a red mist you know there's always something going on to do with a color of some kind isn't there mm. so but it could happen it could happen you know it's a moment of crisis and everything uh going all crazy um john hubbard is kind of the only real witness that we have he lived uh in the room um uh, immediately opposite so he was on the left hand side there was a corridor then they were on the right hand side so it is hard to kind of differentiate exactly whether he was hearing the right things let's not forget that he was work he was uh trying to get sleep going to go to work he's used to hearing them arguing so maybe he did hear a man's voice, but maybe it was in another flat. Maybe he just attributed it to their flat. We don't know. It's it's like memory is subjective. Uh, also, hearing is subjective as well. A vision is subjective as well. So, you know, it's hard to really pin a lot of this down. Uh, but he said that he said goodbye to her between 10 and 11.30. She was uh, said goodbye to Lynn as she was going out to the off-license. But he said he saw her come back at 3 a.m. Now, whether... Now, she must have come back at some point and dropped off the booze. Uh, so that must have been at about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And maybe they did go and watch the um, telly. But maybe the two of them did go out to a party. Don't forget, she did slip up and say, we went to a party. But maybe she's making reference to being in the flat as a party. Do you know, they're having lots of booze. So maybe we're having a bit of a party. But was there another man in that room? We don't know. John said, he. I got the impression I heard a male voice in the room. Was it? Was it? Was it them? Or was it a man? Unfortunately, in this file, there's a lot that's been redacted. Someone had gone through a couple of years ago and legally has gone through and a solicitor has kind of redacted a lot of details. So we don't know who that's in relation to. Whether, uh, as we know, um, Lynn had a friend called Bob who she liked. Uh, Jan had a husband uh, his some of his details were redacted uh, obviously any of the names of the punters uh, were redacted quite a few of their friends as well who were police interviewed a lot of sex workers who knew them it's hard, it's really hard to pin down exactly what is going on in this room um, as always we've got the kind of details of the ambulance there you go another annoying helicopter it's it's really annoying because they use the canal as a guidance, as a way to guide the way in. Because they're, cause they're so fucking stupid. They don't know how to read a map. Therefore, they just follow the canal. Therefore, all day we have to suffer this. Utter, utter bastards. Um, uh, both women were taken by ambulance to the hospital. Obviously, uh, Lynn was with Jan. Jan was kind of on the gurney. This is in the days 
they weren't really paramedics at that point. They had basic medical training, so they could only do so much. Unlike now, where you've kind of got specialists who are trained for kind of emergencies. These are kind of base, basically ambulance men with very basic medical training. Uh, but obviously, at that point, Harry's doing the right thing. He's trying to find out. He's been in the scene. He saw that she's been stabbed underneath her uh, armpit, about five inches down. Uh, he wants to check that it's not. Um, entered the thoracic cage which means it would have uh, gone into the ribs into the ribs and into the lungs which is why he's asking them what type of knife it was they say they don't know that could be true taken into hospital now this is a a difficult point originally when i I wrote this detail uh the doctor had said uh it it didn't look as if the blade had kind of entered the thoracic cage but the more you read into it the more you can see Lynn and Jan are both absolutely pissed. Uh, two doctors there actually examined Jan when she arrived, as well as the nurses. Um, they could see that there was a wound there. On the outside, it was like four or five centimetres in length, but they had difficulty probing it because obviously Jan was vomiting a lot because she was drunk. They said it was a brown kind of alcoholic smell that was coming out of her, and she was being quite violent with the staff. So, you know not really a lot you can do when you're you're trying to save someone's life and then someone's being a prick and he's screaming at you what really are you going to do i never understand why people do that when they take it into hospital and they they start fighting with the people who are trying to save their lives some, some people are just fucking idiots i'm sorry um nurse called Kay brooks she was in the casualty ward and it was jan who uh, lynn who said we've been to a party we've had a bit of a party uh what was hang on, where's, where's the exact phrase we had a bit of a party where was it i've lost it i've lost the phrase oh we are uh, here we are um we've been to a party we've had a bit of a barney she got home and she complained of an awful pain so i dialed 999 so which bit is true where was the party was it elsewhere or was it a party in the flat if so that they she agreed that they had a barney which is an argument she said when she got home she complained of an awful pain so got home from where because apparently at that point jan hasn't been out anywhere since the night before so it's one of these things that just doesn't make any sense at all um so yeah the the hospital did the best they could they they weren't being allowed to examine inside the wound so what they did was they x-rayed her and she seemed fine at that point but obviously at that point it started uh the injury it had actually nicked her lung uh she started it started to get an infection in there it spread to both lungs and that's why she ended up with pneumonia uh, they saw that it was a pneumonia they tried to treat it but unfortunately she died um originally on that same day when the police went back to their flat uh, with lynn another annoying helicopter could be a prick learning to fly who's doing circuits utter utter wanker it's like being in fucking vietnam fuck off um uh lynn went back with the police uh, they assessed the scene now at this point it is uh, as mentioned in the episode it's an assault with a weapon but they know at this point that it's unlikely to be uh anything you know if if you uh because jan is not willing to give a statement and she doesn't want to press charges there's not really a lot they can do until 
it becomes a murder then it goes out of their hands it's like it's irrelevant at that point whether she wants to press charges or not because she's dead and it's a murder which is entirely different you can't make the decision at that point about whether you're going to ch- press charges for murder it's a murder the person is dead um now she had uh, uh they went back to the flat and the police said are there any knives in this flat um Lynn said only this one and she goes to the sideboard and she pulls out a small paper knife um which they said was in a, the form of a miniature blunt sword uh the police thought this was probably the weapon but there was no blood on it at that point it wasn't the weapon at all um when they were looking around the flat everything was there as expected it was actually four empty bottles of pepsi cola three charrington's pale ale flagons one of which was full one merry down cider which was empty two black and white whiskies which were half full uh two bottles of hague gold label which are empty three lucas aid one stingo which is a uh, a favorite drink of old ridge christie two and a half bottles of martel brandy one lemon squash empty and one limeade empty so even though they bought a lot they got a lot of booze in the flat that they drank a lot of that which is a hell of a lot of booze for just two people which does make you think was someone else in the flat uh let's dive forwards let's go forward just a bit so obviously uh death was announced uh and then she was immediately arrested uh detective chief inspector eric lancel um returned to the flat at 5 55 p.m so literally 40 minutes after death had been announced uh lynn said have you got bad news for me Uh, the detective said your friend jeanette blake uh who was in hospital has died at this stage we don't know the cause of the death but we'd like you to come to chelsea police station to make a statement which she did lynn said i can't believe she's dead she was getting better uh the sergeant said have you found the knife knife and that's when lynn said she took him to the kitchen and she put it on top of the cooker and she said i was cleaning up this afternoon and i found it under the fridge he said is this the one that was used she said i don't know i can't remember detective said well if you can't remember how can you be sure if this was the knife Uh, and she said look there is blood on it i didn't wash it um in the room it's kind of it's an odd situation so obviously she's been in the room for the last four days so we don't know whether she did whether did she destroy down anything whether she consciously destroyed anything or whether she got any rid of any details it was still a mess but we don't know whether she destroyed anything. The bottles were still there. Uh, Jan's blouse was still there because the uh, uh, paramedics, well, the ambulance men had to cut it off because to stem the wound. Um, the pillows were still there, which had been taken from one of the single beds, uh, as well as Exhibit 4, which is a rubber mask taken from the left-hand drawer to the side, which was stained with blood. We don't know what that is. We don't know whether the blood was blood transfer. We don't know what the mask is all about. And this is one of those things. It's one of these details that's just there, but we don't know what it was doing there, why it was in the drawer by the sideboard, and why it was stained with blood. It's going to remain remain a mystery. Ah, uh, what else we got? Obviously, the, the the box of pornography is there. Um, it contained a large number of indecent photographs. Um it was redacted of who it was that was in there uh there was also another pair of photographs entitled le carousel which was found on top of the wardrobe 
we don't know who and we don't we don't, there's a lot of details there that have been redacted and we don't know what it's about uh the body of uh jan was identified by marcia lee who was an old friend of hers uh, unfortunately, the police described her as troublesome and likely to prove an embarrassment and a nuisance as a, a nuisance as a witness, so should not be called by the prosecution. Oh, let's see what else we've got. Um, I think that's it. I'm not going to do uh, Lynn's whole statement. The autopsy was conducted by uh, Dr. Donald Tear, who we've heard about many times before. Uh, he stated death was due to pleurisy and pleurisy is inflammation of the sheet like layers between the the lungs the the pleura um obviously this is because the 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 lining of the lung was slightly pierced uh and it also caused peritonitis which is an inflammation of the peritoneum uh the silk-like membrane that lines your inner abdominal wall uh so uh this was uh, predominantly a fungal or a bacterial infection which would have been caused by the stab wounds um pretty much there was nothing else uh on her body nothing else that was uh you would say that was not consistent with the wounds the wound was about right it was at the right angle it went in uh in the space between the sixth rib uh the diaphragm and the top of the stomach um there was an infection along the track of the wound uh, which uh, was said to have caused the death uh, possibly because of something on the blade you know it could have been a dirty blade or something um, that's pretty much it it's um, her liver was fatty she was five foot one inches tall she was almost 14 stone which is a hell of a weight for someone who's five foot one um uh, her liver was consistent with alcoholism she uh they were not able to give her a blood alcohol screening at that point because she was kicking off and by the point that she died the alcohol would have gone out of her system um that's pretty much it there's nothing there that really suggests of anything different or um that suggests something odd except what we already know about her her, her murder uh i think that's it I think that's all I can say about that. No uh, additional marks of violence or scars uh, on Lynn. Um, we don't know why she snapped. We know that she was definitely a, a kind of a follower of... She needed someone to guide her. And maybe this was it. Maybe uh, she realised that the relationship was over and she'd have no one to guide her. Nowhere to live. No money. You know, Everything was collapsing around her. Maybe it was just a very violent relationship on both sides. Maybe it was the alcohol that did it. We just, we just don't know what was going on. And we will never know. Uh, and I think that's it. I think that's it. Yep, that's it. I think everything to do with the court case I put in the episode. So that is it, folks. Uh, uh, I will be probably doing a uh, poll on the Murder Mile discussion group on Facebook. So if you're a member of that, you can uh, put in your theories and ask uh, what happened that night. We will f we can say we don't know what happened. Everyone has a theory. Let's find out. <sighs> so before I go to the bakery, yum, and eat my Scotch eggs, yum. Uh, let's uh, answer those questions. Question number one. Who frequented a pub near to Redcliffe Square? Well, 
It was a pub as used by many of Britain's most infamous, infamous serial killers, such as Dennis Nielsen, uh, the Wolfman, uh, the, and the Gay Slayer. As this, it's a pub now called the Pembroke, uh, but it used to be called the Colern. And that's literally one street away. So uh, this kind of area, that's why they kind of live there. It's it's an area that had a kind of a high population of, of gay people. So it was kind of a more of a safe haven for them to live in. Question number two, what village in Fife did Lynn come from? It was called Leslie. Question number three, Lynn's dad worked for CCG. But what does CCG stand for? It was the Control Commission of Germany. Uh, this was a group set up to uh, kind of split up. Lots of noise going on outside. I think it's the Canal and River Trust boat that is outside that is full of metal shit. Uh, they were the group that was set up by the Allies post to, to kind of decide who was going to take what and look after what bit of uh, East and West Germany. Um Question number four, what was Lynn's rank in the Queen Alexandra's Royal Army Nursing Corps? She was a private. Question number five, before the manslaughter, what was her only known crime? Uh, She was convicted of stealing car wing mirrors. Not exactly a career criminal. Question number six, in what part of London was Jan born? Balham. Question number seven, what was Jan McVitie's alias on her police record? Well, there were several, in fact, but her main one was Doreen Brooks, which was her married name. Uh, But also, uh, sorry, Doreen Blake was her, her married name. She used the name Doreen Brooks, but also Mary Brooks, but also Doreen Blake. Oh, although we don't know much about her husband, so that's hard to pin down. That's what's been redacted as well. So we don't know whether she was still in touch with her husband and whether her husband visited her that night. We don't know. Uh, question number eight. What was the name of the club they met at? It was the Gateways Club. Question number nine. What was Lynn's only contribution to the rent? It was the five pounds each week her father gave her because he still believed that she was a nurse. And question number 10, what cafe did Lynn buy some Pepsi Colas at? It was called Bertarelli's. So there we go. There we go, folks. Oh, stretch a clock. All right. Off to go and do some editing. Oh, joy. Lots to do. Although I am powering through all these episodes to get gear of us up for Christmas. And then I'm hoping... My aim is to finish, if I power ahead and finish a week earlier, and then a week before Christmas I can start unwinding, doing nothing, having some fun, doing lots of drinking, and then just hopefully having like two weeks off instead of one week off. So there we go. Uh, So that's it. Thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile and supporting the show. We'll be back next week with a single episode. So have a good one, folks. Stay safe and be good. Lots of love, everyone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 